Luke chapter 2, verse 22 to 38. Luke 2, verse 22 to 38. And for my theme of chosen, um, a theme in the form of a question, who is Jesus to you? And I'll explain that in a moment. Who is Jesus to you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, we are in great need, Lord. We pray that the Holy Spirit would come. We do this so often, Lord, but how dependent we are upon you. Pray that the Spirit would come and meet with us this morning and would transform us into the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Change us into the image of our Creator, that we may become more and more like Jesus in our lives, in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. And show to us just once again that Christ is sufficient. Jesus is enough for us. Jesus is all we need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now if you listen to my theme, that question, who is Jesus to you, it sounds postmodern. Uh, postmoderns are people who, they say that something can be true for you, but it's not true for me. So you can think Jesus is just a prophet, but I think he's God. And doesn't matter what you think. So my, my theme sounds postmodern, as if you can decide who Jesus is. And yet we know the question is not who is Jesus to you. The question is who is Jesus really, regardless of what you think who Jesus is. And yet in another sense, it doesn't help that you only believe the truth about Jesus if you believe it like the devil does. Because the devil also believes the truth about Jesus and he's lost. So in that sense we say it is important then to ask, who is Jesus to you personally? And we're going to see this under a number of characters. The first is, who was Jesus to his parents? Verse 22 to 24. Luke chapter 2. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it's written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. I remember some years ago, a man, a visitor, came to our church on the Sunday morning and then he came on the Wednesday evening to our Bible study. And at the Bible study he made a statement and said that man is born, um, man is born morally neutral, which means you're not good, you're not bad, uh, and then whatever influences come into your life that shapes you and that causes you to become the person you are today. 
So it's all the bad influences that actually cause, they, they cause you to be a sinner. It's not because of some sinful nature or something wrong in your heart. Well, the Bible disagrees with that because according to the Bible, we inherit a sinful nature from Adam. Adam is the first man who sinned, and because of Adam's sin, all his descendants are now sinners. So we are sinners right from the moment of conception, from our mother's womb, Psalm 51 verse 5, or 58 verse 3, the same. And Romans 5 verse 12 says that we inherit the sin nature, the sinful nature from Adam. We are by nature children of wrath, children who deserve or people who deserve God's judgment, Ephesians 2 verse 3. And so this is why 40 days after a baby boy was born, in the time of the Bible, the mother had to bring this child, this baby boy, and bring a sacrifice for him in the temple. And this is exactly what we see happening in verse 22 to 24. So yes, children are a blessing from God, but we know that because children are sinners by nature, Therefore, the mother had to now bring this child, and it's like she needs purification because she has brought a sinner into the world. And that is what Leviticus 12 teaches us in verse 2 and verse 4. And this is, the, these verses in Luke really comes from Le Leviticus 12. Now, the question immediately comes at why, why did Joseph need to be purified? Joseph didn't bear the child. Joseph didn't bring a child into the world. So, because verse 22 says, when the time for their purification came, and that doesn't refer to Jesus, he didn't need purifying, Mary did, and if you see their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem. So that refers to Mary and Joseph. So why did Joseph need purification? He didn't bear the child. And the reason is because although um, Mary and Joseph hadn't had sexual relations, relations, until Jesus was born, according to Matthew 2. Even though that's true, we must still remember they, they married. So husband and wife is one in marriage. And so they're one. And so in this matter, Mary's impurity or the fact that she needs purification, it immediately touches Joseph too. And then you can go to the next question and ask, yes, but why did, why did Mary need to be purified? Because I just said that if you bring a sinner into the world as a mother... You need purification, but Jesus wasn't a sinner. Jesus hadn't, didn't have a sinful nature. So why did Mary need purification after the birth of Christ? And the answer is because Jesus would bear our sin in the future. Jesus would bear our sin on the cross. And so Joseph's purification, Mary's purification, verse 22, verse 24, the sacrifice they brought for this purification, that's just a little window almost a preview that showed that Jesus would sacrifice himself. He would offer up himself to purify us from our sins. And he doesn't only purify us from, from sinful words and sinful deeds and sinful thoughts. Jesus purifies us from a sinful nature. He makes us new people, new creatures. And because we knew creatures, He's busy changing us. 
so that we would be dedicated to the Lord, just as he was from birth. Now, we're not dedicated from birth, we're born sinners, but we are dedicated to the Lord. It starts when we are born again, a spiritual birth. But for Jesus, it was from birth. Verse 22, it says at the end, they brought, to, brought him to present him to the Lord, as if we dedicate him to the Lord. So Jesus really came to show us what, what a normal life means, what it means to be a normal human being, a perfect human being. Don't think that, that we are normal human beings. We're not normal, we're sinners. Jesus came to show us this is what God meant it to be from the start, a normal human being. And when Jesus comes, he will complete this work in us and we will be like him, perfectly uh, perfect and without sin. Perfect human beings, 1 John 3 verse 2. So we should never say as Christians, you know, it's just human. It's just human to sin. Nobody's perfect. No, it's abnormal. It's not normal for someone who is made new, someone who is born again. It's not normal for you to live in sin. And so, so we should strive by the power, power of the Holy Spirit. We should strive to the new normal. Strive to become the new normal. And to become like Jesus, to be changed into the image of your Creator in true knowledge. Purify yourself as Christ is pure. Walk in His steps. And now obviously we won't get this right perfectly in this world because you're not in heaven yet. But we should thank God in those circumstances when we do trip up, when we do struggle, when we do sin, we should thank God that Jesus stands in our place. Jesus stands in our place as the firstborn. Verse 23, as it's written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. He represents us with God. He as the firstborn, Romans 8 verse 29. And that you even found in the Old Testament, that in the Old Testament, the, the firstborn sons, they were... They were pictures of Jesus who would become the firstborn. So the parents would come in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 13, and they would bring this firstborn child to the Lord. And the firstborn was also representative. He was a representative to say, if the firstborn belongs to the Lord, verse 23, that means the whole family, all the children, belong to the Lord. And in the end, every family in Israel, and in the end, the whole nation belongs to the Lord. Now in the New Testament, Christ comes and Christ fulfills that. Because the Father accepts Jesus as the firstborn in our place. And so we too now, we are part of the family of God now. We who believe in Jesus Christ. So by faith you are accepted into God's family. You are adopted as a child of God. Galatians 3 verse 26. John 1 verse 12. Now this cost something. It didn't come easy and it didn't come cheap it cost jesus so in the old testament they would pay five coins five shekels five pieces of silver money to redeem this firstborn so he doesn't die for his sin because he's born a sinner numbers 18 verse 15 and 16 and then in the new testament jesus now comes and he doesn't pay with silver or gold um, but he pays with his own blood so that we can now share as, or we can share in the things he inherits. And remember, he's the firstborn, so he inherits the kingdom. But now we can share this inheritance because Jesus purchased, purchased it for us and purchased us with his blood.
Now we are co-heirs with Christ, fellow heirs with Christ. Uh, we are heirs of God. God is now our Father. We are heirs of the kingdom. The kingdom now belongs to us because of Jesus. And the way he did this was by leaving his heavenly riches, leaving his heavenly glory, and he became poor so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. He left heavenly riches. He became a human being. He wasn't born in a palace as a rich person. Nobody chose to be born of a poor mother and have a poor stepfather, Mary and Joseph. How do we know they were poor? Well, well verse 24, they couldn't even afford a lamb. Because Leviticus 12 said that the mother should sacrifice a lamb. But it said if she's poor, then he quotes Leviticus 12 verse 8, if she's poor then she can sacrifice two pigeons or two turtle doves. And that's exactly what she did because they weren't rich people. And throughout his whole life Jesus remained poor. Jesus didn't, never had his own home. Luke 9 verse 58. And everything Jesus wanted to use he had to Borrow from someone. So he borrowed a boat so he could sit in the boat and teach uh, from the shallow waters. He borrowed a coin when he wanted to give an illustration on paying your taxes. He borrowed a donkey. He didn't have his own so he could come into Jerusalem. <coughs> he borrowed an upper room when he had the Lord's Supper, communion with his disciples. He borrowed a grave. He didn't have his own. A rich man brought him to his own grave. And then even when Jesus died, we know Jesus had nothing, nothing when he died. Not even clothes on his body. They stripped him of that too and divided the clothes among themselves. And yet now Jesus possesses everything. And Jesus offers us, he offers us treasures greater than any riches this world can offer you. He offers you eternal riches. He offers you spiritual riches. He offers you himself. And this is not, it's not a kind of treasure that can be corrupted. It's not a kind of treasure that you can lose. These are eternal riches. And it's not only meant for rich people, it's meant for everyone. And perhaps it's, perhaps it's, in some sense meant for the poor because most rich people think they have everything who needs the riches of Jesus. Oh, if they only knew. If they only knew, they would have thought twice and thought maybe I should give up everything to get Jesus. But they don't think that way because they've got earthly riches and they think they don't need Christ. And it's sad that most of these rich people, they won't do it. They won't give up everything to have Jesus. Rather, they like a man who clings to his gold while the ship is sinking. What a fool. So that's what Jesus was for his parents. Secondly, for Simeon. Let's see what Jesus was for Simeon. Uh, or to Simeon in Verse 25 to 28. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, or Messiah. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law... 
He took him in his arms and blessed God and said, and then I'll read that later on what he said. So let me tell you about Jack's grandfather. Uh, Jack's grandfather died when Jack was only seven years old. And before the grandfather died, he saved up some money, actually invested the money, 750,000 rand. He invested this for Jack. But Jack can only get the money once he's 30 years old. Now, I wonder what Jack would feel like on the eve before he gets that inheritance. Now, remember the 750,000 is invested, so it's going to grow. What, what, what must he feel like the night before his 30th birthday? And he knows, tomorrow I'm getting whatever it's grown to. Something in the millions. And that's perhaps how Simon felt, or Simeon, how Simeon felt and all these faithful people in Israel. Remember, they'd, they'd expected the Messiah. They'd, be, they'd been waiting for hundreds of years. And now finally, verse 25, we see he'd been waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's the comforter, the one who's come to comfort and to save. That's Jesus. So who was the Simeon? Well, apart from these verses I just read, we know nothing of Simeon, about Simeon. Nowhere else in the Bible do you read about the Simeon. So he's, he's only important because of his connection to Jesus. And so the lesson for us is, without Jesus, our lives don't matter much. It doesn't. And you'll realize that very quickly the moment you die, if you do die without Jesus. Then you'll realize you are nothing and you mean nothing. So isn't it better for us to be like Simeon? He wasn't a famous person. He's not so important. But he is upright. He's a righteous man. He's a devoted man. Verse 25. He's devout. Devoted to God. How do you become like this? Well, you do what Simeon did. Simeon waited for the consolation of Israel. He waited for the Messiah. He looked forward. His focus was on the Messiah. He wanted the Messiah to come and save and to restore and to redeem Israel. And because he focused on the Messiah, the Holy Spirit was upon him continually. Verse 25, the Holy Spirit was upon him, and the Greek uses a continuous tense for the verb there. Continually, he, the Spirit was upon him. And so that's why this desire for, for the Savior to come, for Jesus to come, the Messiah, the, the Christ, that's why this desire kept on burning. Because the Spirit was upon him. And the Spirit's work, one of his main tasks is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Spirit also showed him that he won't die before he had seen the Messiah. The Lord's Christ, the Lord's anointed one, the special one, verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And then one day, the Holy Spirit led him to go to the temple. And we see that in verse 27. And it's at the exact moment that Joseph and Mary are in the temple and with the baby Jesus uh, to do everything the law required of them. And at that moment... Simeon walks into the temple and, he, and, he, and the desire of his heart is fulfilled. And he praises God for this in verse 28. 
when he takes the baby Jesus in his arms, he takes the Messiah in his arms. What does your personal devotion to God, to Jesus, look like if you put it next to Simeon's devotion, if you compare it to Simeon's devotion to God? You see, Simeon's devotion was visible. It was visible in his desire for Jesus, in his desire to see Christ. Is this true of you? Do you sigh because you don't feel God near in your quiet time? Do you sigh when you have sinned against him? Do you sigh because you just you want to give more time to the Lord and you're not doing it? Are you that kind of person? You will set aside anything because you want His Word. You want His Word. You want to be with other Christians. You want to pray to Him. You want to sing His praise. Do you sigh because you want to be with Him in heaven? Do you sigh because you want Jesus to come back? You want to see your Lord and Saviour? You know, there, there, are, there are enough people in this world who sigh because the world is an evil place and there's so much chaos and wrong and crime and corruption. There are a lot of people like that. They sigh about that because they don't want to be here anymore and they, some of them, even in their own lives, they commit suicide. And then other people, they sigh because they're old and life is not enjoyable anymore. And other people sigh because they go through trials and it's difficult in this life. And yet none of those people have a desire for Jesus. Many of them, they sigh because of those things, but they don't have a desire for Jesus. That's not why they're sighing, in other words. Because they want to be with Jesus. No, they just don't want to be here anymore. What about you? Is Jesus to you what he was to Simeon? Do you sigh? Do you desire Jesus like a young bride desires to see her bridegroom? And the devotion in your life, your devotion to Jesus, your commitment to Jesus, is it visible that Jesus is the desire of your heart when people look at your commitment? Number three, so we're speaking of who is Jesus to you. So we saw who he, is to, who he was to his parents, who he was to Simeon, and now we're going to see who, he, who he, he was to the world or is to the world. Verse 29 to 35. This is what Simeon says. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother, his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that Thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now in the Bible, when I, when I use this word world, who is Jesus to the world, the word world in the Bible means more than one thing. Sometimes it refers to the planet, planet Earth. 
That's the world. Sometimes it refers to all nations. God so loved the world. Sometimes it refers to this wicked and evil system that, that walks after Satan, that listens to the devil, unbelievers. Uh, 1 John 5 verse 19, the whole world lies in the lap or in the power of the evil one. Now, the, the sense in which Luke uses this, or Simeon, who's speaking here, in these verses is in the second sense. So when, he, when I'm speaking of the world here, I mean, Simeon means uh, that, that the Messiah came, Jesus came to save people from all nations. And it really brought joy to his heart, although he wouldn't be there to see it, because the Holy Spirit, remember, told him that you will only die once you've seen the Messiah, verse 26. And now in verse 29, he's not afraid of death. He's filled with peace. He says, now I can die in peace. Now I can go in peace. Why? Because I've just held the Messiah in my arms. God's salvation, I've seen it with my own eyes, verse 30. I've seen the salvation. I've seen the salvation that God has prepared, verse 31, in the presence of all peoples. Um, the salvation God has prepared, really, this baby God has prepared in Mary's womb. This baby who's come to be the Savior. Isn't that what the Old Testament prophesied? You will see eye to eye. You will see the salvation of God. And now he's seen that. Do you want to be like Simeon? Do you want to die in peace? Well, then Jesus must be your Savior. He must be your Messiah. And you should pray this for others also, not only for your family. You should pray this for the EFF. You should pray this for the Jews. You should pray this for Muslims. Because Jesus came as a light for all peoples. Verse 32, for all nations. <coughs> End of verse 31, all peoples. Verse 32, all nations. The Gentiles, light for revelation to the Gentiles. Glory to your, for your people Israel. He has come as a light to shine in our dark world of wickedness and evil and sin. He's come to reveal the glory of God. To show the brightness and brilliance and majesty of God to the Jews, but to all nations. And perhaps you say this does not go for Julius Malema. This does not go for the EFF. They who smash shop windows and burn places and kill and threaten murder. And I refuse to pray for them. I refuse to pray for them. I will even hold the gospel back and not share it with them so that they can go to hell. That is the way some people think and reason in their minds. But what would have happened to you and I? What would have happened to us if the Lord did the same for us? If God had the same reasoning with you and I? Well, then we would have gone to hell with them. So repent of your wrong attitude and pray that God will save your enemies just like Jesus prayed for you. That God would save you when you were an enemy of God. Jesus prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And then marvel at the grace and the patience of God. Marvel at who He is. Just like like. Jesus' mother and his stepfather did in verse 33. And his father and his mother, it says, marveled at what was said about him. And if you do the same, the Lord will bless you. If you marvel at Christ and you adore Christ, 
God will bless you just like, he, like Simeon blessed Joseph and Mary in verse 34. In their eyes, they saw the wonder of Jesus Christ. The wonder of what God had done by giving this child to Mary. Now this blessing, this blessing is not for everyone. Of verse 34 where it says they were blessed and we are blessed. Ephesians 1 verse 3, this blessing is not for everyone. This blessing is for those who fall down broken before God, broken before Jesus, acknowledging their sin, acknowledging they are lost, acknowledging they need Christ, acknowledging they need salvation, acknowledging they need forgiveness. Verse 34, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, first falling in brokenness and repentance and then being raised up by God, raised from the grave of your own sin, and you are given spiritual life by God, and you are raised up into the heavenly places to sit in those heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And many people take offense at this. They take offense at Jesus. And they say, I don't need a crutch to get to heaven. And in their eyes, they don't need a crucified Messiah to save them. They don't need a man butchered and nailed to a cross to save them. They take offense at this. Verse 34 says, Jesus will be a sign that is opposed. They opposed him. They nailed him to a cross. And even the cross to them was offensive. Who needs a crucified man to save them? This is what they thought. The cross is a stumbling block to the Jew, 1 Corinthians 1.23. You see, the world is satisfied. They're quite satisfied with, with religious leaders that tell them you can save yourself. They're, very, they, they're quite satisfied with Muhammad and Buddha and Gandhi and Mother Teresa and the Pope and the Dalai Lama. They're content. But they hate Jesus. They hate Jesus when he says that he alone can save. They hate Jesus when he said, you are lost without me. And it's for this very reason that they curse his name and they blaspheme his name in movies. And they don't blaspheme Muhammad or Buddha or Gandhi or the Pope or the Dalai Lama or who else. They blaspheme the name of Jesus because they hate him. And they're not really bothered in, to some extent with a baby Jesus in a manger. That's fine. As long as he stays a baby, but he, he mustn't grow up and he mustn't say radical things. He mustn't say, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. He mustn't say, everyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality commits adultery. If he marries another. He mustn't say, you must deny yourself and take up your cross every day and follow me. He mustn't say... You should fear God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He mustn't say, if you do not hate father and mother and brother and sister and son and daughter and even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Hate there being a very strong term saying, in comparison with Jesus, your love for others must look like hate. He mustn't say that. He mustn't say, sell all you have and give the, give the money to the poor and come follow me and you'll have a treasure in heaven. He mustn't say, no one can come to the Father or can come to me unless the Father draws him. He mustn't say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to me 
Or I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You must not say that. That's too radical. That's too, that's too narrow-minded. It's too exclusive. The world doesn't want a Jesus that demands your absolute loyalty. The world does not want a Jesus that brings division in families, that brings division in societies because some in that family believe, believes in him and the, other, the others don't believe in him. And that brings division. As verse 34 says, some will rise and some will fall. They don't want a Jesus like that. Or as it says in verse, verse 34 at the end, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. They don't want that Jesus. That's the Jesus over whom they stumble. That's the one that is opposed, verse 34. They're opposed to that Jesus. And they stumble over him. Like you stumble over a rock and you're smashed. You're crushed. So how do you feel about Jesus? What is your response to this Jesus? And your response to this Jesus will show who you really are. Verse 35 at the end. Thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. You see, no one, no one can remain neutral before the Jesus of Scripture. If you do not love this Jesus and obey him and serve him and follow him, well, then you're on the side of those who ignore him and reject him and hate him. So who is Jesus to you? Do you feel pain, a pain in your heart when people blaspheme his name? Do you feel a cut? Are you cut to the heart when people ignore Jesus and give him the cold shoulder they're indifferent to him? Do you feel like Mary when they crucified Jesus? It's like a sword being rammed through her own soul, verse 35 in the middle. A sword will pierce through your own soul also. Because she saw her son crucified, be crucified. And that cut. And are you cut to the heart when people mistreat your Jesus? Number four. So we say, we're asking the question, who is Jesus to you? And finally, we already saw who he is to, was to his parents, to Simeon, to the world, and now to Anna. To Anna. Verse 36 to 38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, or Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Every devoted Christian will go or will persevere and will go with all their strength and all their might in the service of Christ in this race. They will run this race with perseverance, with passion, with strength, with dedication, with commitment to Jesus. And that is also, if their health allows for it, they will keep on serving in the church of Jesus Christ. Like John MacArthur, he's 81 years old, he's still going full steam. And even if such Christians become ill, 
and they're lying on a sickbed, even there they will keep on serving the Lord with all they have, with all their strength. They'll keep on encouraging other Christians. They'll keep on praising the Lord. They'll keep on praying like a Christian called Errol Hulse. He's dead now, but before he died and went to heaven, Errol Hulse, on his sickbed, he had a stroke, and he kept on serving the Lord. He couldn't be a pastor anymore. He couldn't preach anymore and all of that, but he kept on praying, and he kept on encouraging other believers. And unfortunately, everyone is not so. You know, you'd, you'd wish every Christian were like that, but it's not so. Some Christians, they, it's like they, they start lagging. They start lagging as they get older, and they get close to the end, and spiritually they lag, and they get weaker. And that is very sad, especially in the light of Jesus, who persevered to the end to save us. So I want to encourage you to be like Anna. Anna, here she is, an old woman, and she's still serving the Lord with utmost dedication and devotion and commitment. Now she's a prophetess, it says in verse 36, uh, the daughter of Phanil from the tribe of Asher. And she's already 84 years old, if you take verse 36 and 37 together. She's 34, uh, 84 years old. All the verse can be translated that she had been a widow for 84 years already. She was only married for seven. And now we see her fasting and praying. Day and night she's in the temple, busy fasting and praying. And she's got this desire in her heart that God will send the Messiah. And God answers her prayer. <laughs> and he shows her the Messiah before she dies in verse 38. She sees the Messiah, this baby Jesus. And she's so happy. She's so filled with joy. She goes out and there had been a number of people in Jerusalem who had been waiting and for the Messiah to come, longing for the coming of the Messiah. And she goes and tells them all, He's here, He's here, the Messiah is here. The redemption has come, the salvation has come for us. Is Jesus to you what He was to Anna? Do you desire the second coming of the Messiah, just like she desired the first coming of the Messiah. And if so, I, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to serve him then, like Anna served him. And I know, I know that, that everyone is not healthy as they grow older. Some old people are sickly and they're suffering. But if you can be here with this congregation, you're part of our church, if you can be here, then do so. Don't just stay away. You know, God's trees, they grow and they get old and they bear good fruit when they're in the house of the Lord. Psalm 92, the final verses. It's when they hear with the believers that they grow and bear fruit. And for, for some of you younger people, your parents are old people now. But for you, I want, to you I want to say, if you're in that position, remember in many such cases, your aged parents... Your parents who are now old, they are dependent on you to be at the worship services. They can't drive themselves. So do not hinder them from growing. Do not stop them from coming here. Just like when you were young, God told your parents, do not hinder the children from coming to me. Well, now I want to switch it around and say, do not hinder the old people from coming to the Lord. Don't stay away and you don't bring your parents to church and then they can't come. And for you, for you who are younger, follow the example of these old people, the older people who are really serving the Lord with dedication. Learn from them. And for the old people, you must set the pace 
for the younger people. You must show them how to fight the good fight, how to keep the faith, how to finish this race. Don't just, you know, you start going slow before the end and that's the example you leave, that's the legacy. You show younger people don't go to the end, it's not worth it. You should, you should go to the end and set the example. Not just that these younger people can, say, can see who Jesus is to you, but that you can show them that Jesus can be that to them too. He can be the same as He was for you throughout your whole life and will be forever. He can be for them. And if every older Christian does that, then our children and our grandchildren and the next generation, we will have a generation then who serves the Lord, even from a young age, who serves Him with utmost devotion and dedication, like Joseph did in the book of Genesis, like David did as a young boy, like King Josiah did when he was a young boy, like Daniel did when he was a teenager, and his friends did when they were teenagers, and Mary did when she was a, probably a teenager, and Timothy did when he was a young kid, and Charles Spurgeon did when he was only 16. And what a great difference this would make in a society, if you have all these old Christians, old Christians, and they serve Jesus with the wisdom and the life experiences given them. And you'll have these young Christians who serve the Lord Jesus with their zeal and their passion. May the Lord do this for us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Oh, I do pray that these words that we heard this morning would penetrate our hearts like a sword. Lord, we confess to you that we do sigh. I think many of us here can say that, that there's a sighing and a longing in our heart after Jesus and after a desire just to be more, more devoted to Christ and to have more of Christ to be satisfied with Jesus alone. I pray that you would please make us useful in your service, Lord. And let us not run around with Martha in the first place, busy serving Jesus, but rather sit at the feet of Jesus first with Mary and be filled with the good things of Christ and communion with Christ. We pray this for his sake. Amen.